All right. Good morning. Good to have you this morning. Um, if you're new here this morning, we want to extend just a, uh, a special welcome to you. We're really grateful that you're here this morning, that you've chose to come and worship with us this morning. And if you're looking for a church home, we certainly hope you might find one here. Um, and if you should not happen to find one here for if you don't feel that God is leading you to this church, we would encourage you to continue to, to look into the, the several great churches that we have here locally that do uh, honor Jesus and his word, and uh, we're blessed in this community to have a number of, of great churches. All right, so, so we are going uh, to go today through more of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, last week, we talked about Romans. We, we looked at the list of, of gifts in Romans 12. And, and remember, again, um, our goal here is to just stick to God's Word. We have instruction. We're not left alone. God hasn't left us as orphans. He's given us instruction in these areas and in these things. And, and so we want to look at that, and we want to just really have a solid, balanced, biblical approach to these things. And so what does that look like? Well, we're, we're going to talk about that as we go through this, but we're simply going through God's Word. And, and this can be certainly something that is very controversial when we start getting especially into this list, when we get into more of the sign gifts, the miraculous gifts, those kinds of things. There, there certainly is a, uh, a, a controversy within the church body. There's different thought that is out there. there. There's different thought potentially with different brothers and sisters that are out there. I remind us that, that, that it, there's still brothers and sisters that, that even if people think differently than you or I or whatever that looks like, it doesn't mean that we break fellowship with, with, with folks but, uh, because these things aren't pertinent necessarily to salvation. There are the core issues of Christianity, things that we absolutely cannot have any kind of deviation with. Uh, that Jesus, who he is, that he's God, his deity, the Trinity, the cross, things like this are core to our faith. And some of these other things are, are, are a little bit ancillary, but they're important. They're incredibly important. I mean, I, we have to teach about these things, and we have to talk about them. The reality of it is, I think, is that a lot of churches and a lot of pastors we just don't talk about these kinds of things because it's hard to talk about, and there's the potential for real kind of a fallout or, or some controversies, but we're not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to approach any of these things um, that way. We, we want to talk about them. We want to uh, face them head on, but we're going to do that with God's Word. Remember, too, again, as we go here, all Scripture, it says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God has given us, again, he's given us his word. He's given us this way to kind of look through these things and to understand what he's saying. Acts 17, 11. Now these Jews were more noble, the Bereans. I don't know why they say Jews. But anyway, usually most, most, uh, most translations say the Bereans, but they were a, a sect of Jews, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So, again, I encourage you to be like the Bereans, to, to, to study, to open your Bible, to explore Scripture on your own. Don't blindly listen to anything that I say. Don't quote what I would say, but do your own study on these things. Go and verify. My goal and my heart, I'll tell you this, is always to be true to Scripture, Regardless of what that looks like, and if that challenges me, or if that challenges you, well, that's what Scripture does in our lives. It challenges us, and it's good to be challenged by Scripture. Remember, God's Word is my authority. I sit under this. I am not the authority here. I sit under the authority of this. So if there's ever a place, or if there's a thing that I say that is unscriptural, and somebody brings me scripture, not just their thoughts or their ideas, but brings me scripture, and you show me where I'm in error, I'm good with that, because I'm just a guy, and I'm just trying to make my way through this, and I sit under the authority of God's word. So honestly, God's word challenges me on what I believe, I'll change what I believe. Why? Because I'm not the authority this is. So as we kind of look into this, 
Again, we, we, we just want to acknowledge, you're going to want to get your Bible out for this one. Turn it on, grab your Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, as we kind of start to deal and delve into the idea of the sign gifts, the miraculous gifts, these kinds of things, I, I think that what we have to recognize is that we're, there's a big turnoff in us when, because we've seen the abuses of the signs and, and the gifts and things like that. We've seen people who have abused those things. We've seen that people who have leveraged those kinds of things to uh, basically uh, take money from people or, or, or to get power or whatever that looks like. We've seen that, and that's very much a turnoff to us. And so I think that we have to be mindful of that. I think that rightfully so, we have seen that and we've seen the abuses in that, and we should be turned off by that because I think that those things are wrong. Many of those things in the way that people approach these are wrong and some of the things and the things that have come out of this. But I'll tell you the other thing too is that people have taken God's word and they've done some really wrong things with it as well. People have preached God's word in horrific ways and terrible ways and, and used it to, to, uh, to, to manipulate other people and to gain power and those kinds of things as well. But we don't throw God's word out because of that. We recognize that that person was in error, but that there is a way that God has given us through this. So... Here we go. Let's get started. Let's kick into this. Now, we're going to have to go to, to get an idea of this. We're going to kind of hit this, and, and we're going to have to do a little bit of a flyover because we've got to get through chapters 12, 13, and 14 to really get a handle on what's kind of going on here. So, a little background. The Church of Corinth, right? They are, um, they, they are gifted. They have all gifts. They're an incredibly gifted church. As a matter of fact, it basically, Paul says, you kind of got all the gifts but they, and all the zeal. But, but they didn't necessarily have all of the knowledge. And, and many of the things that were going on within the church were not okay. As a matter of fact, the whole book, the first part of the book up to this point, is, is Paul just correcting them on all of these wrong things that they're doing. The, the, their, their approach all the way up to how they're doing communion and all of these different things is, is Paul's just kind of getting after them and he's correcting the church. But you see, this really becomes too, these, these chapters that we're about to deal with are really the instruction that the church has when it comes concerning these gifts. There's, there, there's, there's lists and there's talk about it here and there and it's not that there's nothing else there, but this really begins to instruct us as what these gifts look like, and especially in accordance with our worship service and, and those kinds of things and what that could look like. So chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, starts this way. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So Paul is telling us right off the bat here that there's a purpose He's, he's telling us this, he's conveying these ideas to us so that we aren't a people who are uninformed. If we don't talk about this, if we don't, if we don't explore this together, we will be a people who are uninformed. And Paul says, I don't want you, when it comes to these matters, to be uninformed. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. However, therefore... I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul reminds the Corinthians right here that it basically that all of this is central to Jesus, that, that, that you can't, anything that is contrary to Jesus really isn't going to be in accord with any of this. Anything that it comes up that is, that is not... Um, that is downplaying Jesus or his deity or any of those kinds of things is not of the Spirit. Remember, 1 John told us that we are a, to be a people who test the spirits, right? Um, that, that we need to test these things. We're going to hold on to what's fast, and we're going to test these things. But anyway, um, that, that all of this really focuses around Jesus. We talked about last week how if we're really chasing and pursuing God, if the Holy Spirit is at work within the church, if it's at work within our lives, then the Holy Spirit is taking us to Jesus. Why? John 14 tells us that, that everything that the Holy Spirit is doing is proclaiming Jesus. So as we get closer, as the Holy Spirit is at work more and more in our lives, he's bringing us closer to Jesus. We talked about these gifts and how these gifts 
are really kind of the engine of the church. It's the Holy Spirit that is gifting people to do different things, and this is the engine by which the church is moving through the earth and, and fulfilling the ministry that God has for us. So, now there are varieties of gifts, verse 4, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So Paul's saying, look, there, there's, there's, there's a distinction in gifts. There are different gifts. There are different ministries or services. There are different things that are going on out in the world. And then there are different ways that people are fulfilling those ministries, but it's all the same God who's doing it. Now remember, and this is perfectly in keeping with a God that we understand to be three but yet one. He takes the diversity of the church, the diversity of what is in here, and then his goal is to then unify it, take the diversity and unify it under himself. He's three but yet one. He is diversity brought into perfect unity. The church is, is an expression of that as well. And so everything that's going on in the church is a variety of things. It's always... It's always this variety of things that God is bringing into unity. And when it comes to the gifts, it's kind of like this. As we talk about the gifts being an engine, it's kind of like that God has given each person a part of the engine. And then the church's job is to bring those parts all together so that we can start the engine and that the engine runs the way that it's supposed to. So there's a variety of these things. And then it says this, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. There's a spiritual gift that God has given you. God has given gifts to every believer. Every believer has gifts that we're to present back to the church so that the church is edified and that the church is moving through the world in the way that it is intended to. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What for? For the common good. Everything about the gifts are meant to edify the church. It's about building the church up. It's about growing the church, and then it's about more effectively reaching the world. And it's all done, and it's all brought in to the person of Jesus. It's for the common good, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now remember, wisdom, wisdom is kind of the application of knowledge. Wisdom is, is, is understanding how to take knowledge and apply it to our lives in a way that we are a blessing or that we don't hurt ourselves or those kinds of things. Remember that with, when wisdom comes, this is a supernatural wisdom too. This isn't just an earthly wisdom. James divides between those two. He talks about that there's an earthly wisdom. There's a, and, and Proverbs tells us there's a way in which seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. This is a supernatural wisdom. This is a, this is a, a, a way of thinking, a way of understanding and applying God's word and his knowledge into our world around us, okay? So, so there's, there's the, the, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. One is given the utterance of wisdom or the word of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And so again, understand the overlap within these gifts. One is given the idea of the application of knowledge. Another is given knowledge. It's these pieces that start coming together that, that start to form this engine, and the idea of knowledge, again, it's a supernatural knowledge. It's an understanding of life and scripture and some of those kinds of things. To another, faith by the same spirit. And now while we all have a, for, a portion of faith, there is a gifting of faith as well where, where God at times gifts people to have an extraordinary faith, a, the kind of faith that really moves mountains and does, does all kinds of just amazing things. Just that absolute assurance and that, uh, that kind of that bold um, assurance that God is going to move and he's going to do something in this time and in this thing. So God sometimes gifts an extra portion of faith to people within the church. To another, there are gifts of healing by the one spirit that, that God says that he heals and, and that he can give the gift of healing. 
Now, I think that that gift, at times, it can manifest in many different ways. We have a lot of people in here who, are heal, who, who heal, who, who are part of physical healing, right? And we have people who are part of people's spiritual healing and things like that. But, it, but there's more to it. There's more than just a physical healing. Some of you are doctors. There's doctors in here and people in the medical realm. But you see, the, the physical and the spiritual are always tied together. There's, there's not a separation. You can't separate those two. So if you're physically healing today, and God would have you to also have this kind of healing gift, it, it can take you into another dimension of, of being able to bring wellness and goodness. I mean, just doctors that can pray... For their patients beforehand, I mean, it's a powerful thing. If you can pray with them and meet them in those, those times and those places. And there's the reality, too, and I, I believe this, that God could take and he can use you or I at any given time. That, that there's the potential that the Holy Spirit could gift us with, with a healing touch on somebody's life. That you could be a part of praying and seeing somebody healed. I, I mean, we've... If we're a church that, that just doesn't believe that, that God can heal, then what's our foundation? I remind us again, too, when we start getting into the realm of the, some of the supernatural, I'll remind us again that if we believe that, that, that we fell into a place of sin and that God became a man and that God came down and he lived a perfect life, that he was crucified on the cross and he died, that God died, and then he spent three days in the grave. And after that, he was resurrected and brought back into new life in which he, he he's proclaimed that. And then he ascended to heaven and he's promised that he's coming back. We left the natural a long time ago. See, our faith is based outside of the natural. Our faith is based in, a, in an understanding of something that really honestly is supernatural. And something that's supernatural is just something that's outside of the natural. It, it, it's something that just kind of has its, its, its origins or its roots in something that we can't just explain away or get a hold of. And I'm just going to say there's far too many times where we've seen or heard of just miraculous times of healing. I'm holding on to Lisa. I'm holding on to Lisa that she's been miraculously healed by God of cancer. Amen? Amen. We'll believe on that stuff together. So, so healing... Uh, to another, to another, the working of miracles. So here it is. It's saying there's the potential that God. Now remember, remember last week we talked about this, and we talked about that God moves at different times in different ways throughout time and history. We've even seen before before Jesus came onto the scene, there was 470 years, 400 some years. I can't remember exactly. Uh, that they didn't hear anything from God, that there was no prophet, that the Jews heard nothing. It was just this silence. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. And so this is stuff that we can't, we can't manufacture this. You can't manipulate it. You can't just show up and say, you know, okay, we're just going to do this thing. This is a work and a move of the Holy Spirit. And I, my, my position is, is that we just need to be a people who are open to what the Holy Spirit would want to do. And not just shutting him off or just putting him in a box or saying that, that you no, know, God, you can't do this or here's how you have to operate in our world. I, I, I mean, God, let me just tell you, God am, is not about keeping us comfortable. So, so when it comes to some of these things, they may challenge us and they may get us into a place of being uncomfortable, but that's what God does. So the working of miracles. Again, let's just, well, let me do this real quick. To another prophecy. And to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. So again, we talked a lot about prophecy last week. And, and we want to make a differentiation between the prophet or the office of prophet and the gift of prophecy. The office of prophet is no longer, I don't believe, in the, we don't have a prophet that speaks over the church. In Old Testament times, there were the prophets, right? You have Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, you know, just... Ezra, Nehemiah, all of these guys, Daniel, we, we have all of these prophets, and those guys sat in the office of prophet. And when they said something like, thus saith the Lord, it was it. Everybody had to listen to that. Everybody was under that authority. They had that position. 
But see, today when we start looking and we start looking into New Testament prophecy, New Testament prophecy is always to be tested. It is always to be taken to others and evaluated and looked at and, and, and said, is this something that we believe that God is doing? Is the timing, is, the, is this the right word? Is this, is this something that we believe God is doing or is this just something somebody kind of came up with? So this, the, the idea of prophecy isn't to be alone. We're, we'll see this again here in just a minute. Um, the other thing, too, is if God uses us in a, in a place of healing at some point, that doesn't make you the healer. That, I want to really caution us against that. Like, like okay, oh, hey, my name's, uh, yeah, I'm Try. Let me give you my card. Try Robinson, super healer. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's, it's the Spirit, and the Spirit distributes these things as He wills. It's going to say here just in a minute. And, and though God might use us at a given time, it doesn't mean that we have absolute ownership of these things, especially when it comes to these sign gifts and these kinds of things. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Remember, we're to test the spirits, and, and God gives to some people the gift of being able to discern or understand or have an understanding of what's going on and somewhere, somewhat into the spiritual realm and what spirit or what thing is speaking in. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See, these gifts belong to the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who is disseminating these gifts and how he's going to use them, when he's going to use them, and what that's going to look like. And we don't own that. It's the Spirit that owns that, and he does it as he wills. So, when we start getting into the idea of prophecy, tongues, miracles, healings, all of these kind of supernatural kind of things, it, this is the place where the church, there's a real division right within the church. And we can be way over on one side or way on the other side. I really believe that there's a place in the middle that God really wants us to be and really wants us to fall out in this. Um, to the left, to, the, to, to, to way to one side would be to be a cessationist, okay, or to say that the gifts don't exist, that they're just, they're gone, that they were a part of the apostles uh, and, and for that ministry and for the launch of the church, but they don't exist at this point. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The other side would be to be really hyper-charismatic in the idea that we're just chasing these gifts and, and, and everything about our church and our church service and our walk with God is just this, uh, just overly emotional experience where we're seeking feelings and experiences and all of these kinds of things, and we've really lost track. So, for just as the body is one, and it has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, I'm going to read fast through this part a little bit, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So again, just as there's diversity within the gifts, there's diversity within the body, and there's diversity in the, in, in the, in the giving of these gifts and, and in who we are as we come together. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
And so again, it's this diversity of people and thought and all of these things that God has brought in here. And we can't be a people who say, gosh, I, I just want to be a hand or because I'm, because I'm just a hand, I don't have a part in here. Or because I'm this or I'm that, I just don't fit or I don't belong. No, this is God's design. Or hey, I don't like that guy with that part over there, right? Sometimes we need to recognize that this is what God is doing and it's exactly what we need. We need that guy that has that part sometimes that we don't want to have to deal with. But this is about growth and it's about growing together. You see, the church is this unique thing. It brings all, what, how else would all of us gather together, to be honest with you? It's all around Jesus and who he is. If it was just the world and we were a club or we were gaining, we would just have all of those around us that we wanted to be around us, but God hasn't let us do that. He's called us into this greater thing that the church is. He's given each of us a little piece and a portion, and he said, okay, now all of you get together and figure it out. You guys all get together and figure out how to make this thing work. Bring what you've got and bring it together and then all rejoice together. If anybody is suffering, we're going to suffer together. Now if you, now you, verse 27, the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God is apportioned in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues are all apostles. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So, so Paul reminds us again that there's a diversity of things, that, that, and that we should honor that, that God is actually honoring the things that we see as very little or very small. Remember, it's the, it's the last that will be first. It's the least that is greatest in this kingdom. Again, it's an upside down and backwards kingdom. What, the way that we think things would work, the things that we think are the things that are just amazing, like even having maybe these miraculous gifts would just boost us up to this amazing place. I think what he's saying here is, you no, know, seek the greater things. Seek the, seek the things that are available to all at all times. Seek the greatest thing is what he's just about to tell us. And he says, do all work miracles? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Do all uh, possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, here's one of my struggles with this, too, is that if God has told us to earnestly desire the gifts and he's going to repeat that some more. Then if we aren't honestly, earnestly desiring the gifts, we better have a really good reason why we're not. Because he's told us that this is how the church functions, that this is how we're to move. See, when we get way over here on sometimes the hyper-charismatic kind of a thing, people will say, well, you know what? You're not really saved if you don't speak in tongues or if you, if you don't speak in tongues, you, you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit or something like that. But it plainly says right here in God's word, not nah, I'll do this. You know, I don't expect this out of everybody. Or where people are trying to teach people how to prophesy or speak in tongues. It is not, that's not how this works. This is a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit. Paul ends this right here by saying, look, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Excellent. And when he says excellent, he means excellent. He, uh, he means surpassing everything else beyond excess, superior to everything that we've just talked about is what he's saying. He's saying that it's greater than all of these things, and he's telling us that this is the way of love. Chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. I'm going to stop there for a second. Paul is telling us this. He's, he's sandwiching these, these things. with it, It's like it's the, the cream in the middle. It's like an Oreo, right? And the cream in the middle is just love. It, it's about love is what he's reminding us. He's telling us like, you know, the, the, the highest way, the, the greatest thing is to seek love, it, it is to love well, to love well within the body, to, to love well. You know, this is, this is the big marriage default right here, right? Every marriage ever has this, but, but this is a message to the church, and it's about charity. It's about agape love. It's about the highest form of love, and it's about loving one another unconditionally, it's not about just practicing all of these gifts and chasing these different things. See, you can do that is what he's saying. You can do that and you can do that to amazing, excellent results. But if you don't love, it's nothing. It has absolutely no value to it if you're not loving people. If love isn't the, the gas that's in the engine that, that is, it, 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 it's propelling this thing, if, if love, love is, the, is the gas for this engine, and if there's not love, then we're just making a bunch of noise, that we're just kind of doing things for ourselves. But it begins to show us that, that love is about others. It, it's, it doesn't insist on its own way. It's not rejoicing. It, it rejoices in the truth, not wrongdoing. It bears all things. It believes all things. It's hoping in all things, and it endures all things. Then verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have fully been known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So Paul now basically says, look, that these things are going to end. And, and I, I think whether you're a cessationist or a continuist, we understand and we would agree that these things are going to end. The, the, the controversy becomes when. When are these things going to end? And, and, and many that are, are cessationists would say that, that, that this verse right here talks about that it's going to end, right? <clears throat> Granted, it does, but... When the perfect comes, some cessationists would say, look, when, when, when the canon was established, when, when the Bible was put together, when it became complete, then we didn't need the sign gifts anymore, these miraculous things, and, and that uh, the, the time of the apostles and those kinds of things are over. And so now what it's saying is that since the perfect has come, which is God's word, that those things now cease. Now, remember, it doesn't just say prophecy in tongues because many times we leave it, that says knowledge too. It says knowledge will cease. I'm going to hold this, that, that that's, just, that's not a, a good interpretation of Scripture. I, 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 when, when the perfect comes is, is when the culmination of the ages comes, when Jesus comes back, when he sets all of this stuff right. It's, it, it's talking about, uh, about what's to come. And when what's to come, when the church is gathered before God, there's no more need for any of these kinds of things because it's all wrapped up and it's done and it's over with. And we're to hold on, but the greatest of these is love. So regardless of what God is doing in the church, regardless of where we're at with some of these things, it's the Oreo, it's the stuffing in the middle is love. Now he's going to begin to give some instruction for the church and for, the, for, for worship services and what that looks like in the midst of it. And, and see, what, what I find also, too, you see, if Paul, right here at this point, he could have said, look, this is going to end. Don't worry about it. Um, but he doesn't. He gives instruction for the church in what this would look like in the, in the midst of a worship setting, basically. Pursue love. Chapter 14, pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Again, I think that's a big question. As Christians, I don't know if we talk about this enough or, or we actually deal with this, but do you earnestly desire the spiritual gifts? Are, are they even on our radar sometimes? Do we even think about them? Or are we just kind of going through life just in our walk with, 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 with no, ga no gas, no engine? 
pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So Paul even brings that in right there, especially that you may prophesy. Seek these things, right? Continue to seek after these things. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So there we go. Now, now we get really controversial. Now we start to get into the middle of like, whoa, what is this? Because tongues can be two things. There's no doubt about it. In Acts 2.10 and chapter 19 of Acts, it is a spoken language. It is a spoken language that is understood by other people. But here he starts to talk about that there, there's another uh, aspect to this potentially. And, and he starts to talk about what is going on with some of these other tongues. And the people at Corinth had an ecstatic tongue that they were speaking in. Now, when it comes to the idea of ecstatic tongues, let me just say this. Not all ecstatic tongues are of the Lord. Ecstatic tongues go through all kinds of religious beliefs and cultish things. And all of those, there, there's all kinds of tongues that, that are ecstatic tongues that are not of God. But here he begins to talk about this, and he talks about this, that he utters mysteries in the Spirit. No one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So again, because this is about the, the edifying of the body, he begins to tell us how to do this and what to seek after. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so it would seem to me that Paul begins to make the case and begins to talk about that some of tongues, especially when it comes to an ecstatic tongue, is, is, a, is a personal prayer language kind of a thing that, that people can experience and that can edify, but it's going to edify them. And the prophecy is actually the thing that edifies the church. He who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now he says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So this is about, again, the gifts. What are the function? What is the role of the gifts? The function of the gifts is to edify the church, to build this up, to put gas in the engine so that this thing is running the way that it's supposed to. And he says this, um, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will, I how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct tones, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none, of, none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. One of the big problems with the idea of tongues is that it becomes, it, whenever you get into circles, really charismatic circles, it becomes the thing. It becomes the thing that becomes centralized, and it becomes, it be, everything is about this. And Paul is not doing that. What Paul is actually doing is he's actually pushing, he's, he's actually saying, no, we need to be minimizing this. this. This actually isn't maximized. This is minimized because it's about edifying the church. And if people are just having kind of a, a, a talk that nobody, it's incomprehensible, nobody can understand it, then it's not edifying anybody. It, you have, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like, it, it's actually, in a way, it's kind of rude, honestly. Have you ever been around people who speak another language? Right, and they start speaking the language around you, and they speak, you know, they speak English too, but now they're speaking their language, and you're like, this is rude. It's kind of rude because you can't understand. And I think Paul is trying to guard us against these ideas or these situations where where it's not edifying the church; it's it's just happening. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? 
I will pray in my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Again, within the church and within when the church gathers and meets, things are to be intelligible. Things are to be understood. And if that was to be some kind of a supernatural move of God, that God is also going to provide for interpretation so that it is understood and it edifies the whole body. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in the tongue. So Paul is just saying, look, it's, it's not about how much, it's about, it's about whether it's understood or not, and, and it's more important to be understood than to be doing this other thing. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be, but be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. The whole thing that Paul has been trying to get across to the church here in Corinth is grow up. Grow up. It's about maturity. When I was a child, I did childish things, but when I became a man, and he's talking about that the gifts and these kinds of things, they require a real maturity on the behalf of the, of the believer, that we can't be immature and just kind of going on about this. By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are, not a, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. And then he goes on to say, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Again, better, we, the, the whole thing here is, is not about maximizing what is unintelligible, but maximizing what will edify and, and can be understood. Orderly worship. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn. When I was looking at that, I saw something that was interesting, and I'm not saying that this is actually a thing, but the word kata in the Greek there, it means two at a time in session. So, so it's like two by two or kind of a thing. That's it. When, it says by, when it says by two, it doesn't mean one is what it's saying. It seems that there has to be two. So if there was going to be somebody who spoke in a tongue and stepped up and said, look, we, I have a... I have a word in tongues for the rock church, it couldn't be one. It would have to be two. If the whole, and I think that there's a principle in the Bible about two being a witness. And so if one did it, and I promise you, if you open that up and you begin to go down that road like that, you're going to have somebody, uh, somebody every day is going to have some miraculous, unbelievable word from the Lord that shows up exactly at 930 every single Sunday, and they're going to stand up because they have a they want to have a platform in front of everybody to show off something. But if two people did it, wouldn't that freak us out? You know what I mean? Like if all of a sudden, seriously, guys, I mean, I think we have to think about this. What if, that, what if something like that happened? What if two people stood up and said, look, I have a word from the Lord. And two more people stood up and said, I, I understand what's happening and what he said. We would know that was from God. But if there is no one to inter interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So they're not to stand up, it's not to, it, there has to be order in this. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is, what is said. Again, if, if somebody were to come up to me and say, and people do, don't get me wrong, I have a word for you or a word for the church, then to me, that goes then to the leadership of the church and it's weighed. And, and, and then that person needs to be done with it. Like they did their job, they said what God, they believe God put on their heart and then it is weighed to see if it's a word we believe is from the Lord. All prophecy in the New Testament is to be tested. It isn't just to be taken. 
It isn't, and, and then it's not for that person to be mad because they feel like the church isn't moving in the direction that they say that it ought to be moving. They let go of it at that point, and the leadership of the church discerns if this is something for the church or not. Let two or three prophets speak, let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that you all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Disclaimer. I'm about to skip something. I told you I don't like to do that. But I'm going to skip. I'm starting to skip right here where it says women should stay silent in the church, okay? I don't have time for that now, and you don't have time to sit here and listen to that. That's a whole nother thing in itself, and we don't have time to deal with it. So we are going to skip, okay? We're skipping over that part, not because I'm afraid to deal with that, but because we don't have time. Anyway, so... (laughs) Verse 36, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. And there's what God says about it. It says not to, not to uh, forbid and to earnestly desire these things. So sometimes we don't know what to do with those things. And I, I get it. I've, I've looked in this for a long time. And I have wrestled with this. And, and, and I am not posing to be the authority on this. But it's, but it's here. It's plain. It's part of God's word. And so now, you know, as the church, we have to challenge ourselves. What do we do with that? How do we, what, how do we receive that? And how do we, how, how do we see that? And, and I, I welcome conversation, thoughts. I'm happy to sit down anytime and, and talk about these things um, and, and, and kind of go through this journey with you. Um, it's a big deal. There's a lot here. I can tell you that personally, I have no experience with this. I, I, I've never spoken in tongues. I've never had any, an experience like that. I, I know a lot of people that, that have and people that I trust even. But, but there's always a humility with, the, with people that I see a maturity a lot of times with that. And, and while I don't get it or I don't understand it, that, that's, that's not the litmus test by which whether it's real or not. The litmus test to me is God's word. And, and God's word is telling us right here, and we have to wrestle with this, don't forbid it, but all things should be done decently and in order. And, and this isn't, I, I don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to turn the church in some kind of radical direction or anything like that. I, I, I think that where we're at and what we're doing is, is perfectly fine, but, but what, if God, what if God wanted to do something more? What if, what if God, all of a sudden, what if there's a big move of this, what are we going to do? How are we going to see this? There's no doubt in my mind that, 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 that the plan of God in history um, has changed at different times. And as we search the, scrap, the scriptures, we find that, there, that miraculous signs were not always a part of God's plan. There were long periods of time when miracles didn't take place. Um, and so sometimes the withdrawal of these things, I think, is per- perfectly consistent with what God is doing in, in his plan and how he's worked with people through history. But there have also been times where God's spirit has moved really mightily and amazing things have happened. We're living in a really interesting time right now. And, and I don't know what all God has, but I, I, know there's, I know there are things in the future. I know that things are happening. I know that things are, are going on in this world that are, that are just like, what are you doing, Lord? And where are you taking us? And I hope you just join me in that, in, in, that, in that kind of prayer for this church, that heartfelt prayer of, of God, where are you taking us and what do you want to do in us? What do you want to show us, God? How do you want to mature us and grow us into something else? Because I think that, I think that we can make two mistakes with this. I think that we can really try to pretend like it doesn't exist and let's just avoid it and let's don't 
Let's don't ever bring it up. Let's don't talk about it. Let's don't do this. Or, or, or we can get really weird with it, too. I mean, and that's what we don't want to be. We don't, we don't want to be weird. You know, we don't want to be creepy Christians. You know what I mean? Because um, uh, there's plenty of that out there, too. So, uh, Lord, we just, I just want to give it to you, Lord. I thank you that you have given gifts. Again, just this gift cascade that the Father has given the Son, that the Son has, has, uh, has given the Spirit, and that the Spirit has given gifts to the church. Keep us mindful of, of what that is and, and bring us into a right perspective, a right biblical balance of, of what your word says and, and, and what you're calling us to and what you're even doing right now in this world. Give us discernment and give us wisdom, Lord. And Lord, I just pray too for the gifts and the giftings within this church because I think we would all agree that the gifts exist. Uh, I pray that your gifts, that we would all bring the gifts that you've given, that we would bring them into this church body. We would recognize that they don't belong to us, but they're to be exercised within the church body for the furtherance of your church right here in Sheridan. So, Lord, we just want to keep love and the gospel central. Lord, we, want to, we, we, we recognize that that's the greatest thing, that that's the most excellent way is the way of love. So, so keep us mindful and keep us loving to one another. Lord, help us to, uh, to seek the benefit and the well-being of one another and help us to seek the the, the well-being of our community and help us to go out of the doors here today in love, remembering that it's, it's highly superior to any of these kinds of things. It's the thing that's accessible to all of us. It's the things that when you've filled us with your love, that we can extend that, and that is the most powerful thing. It's the most powerful witness to the world around us. Help us to, to not get caught up in things or, or to be distracted by things as well that, that you're not calling us to be distracted to. I thank you that you give us your word and that you give us direction, that you haven't left us just um, alone and trying to navigate this. So, Lord, we just want to be right before you. That's our prayer. We want to be right before you. We don't want to put you in a box, and, Lord, we, uh, we, uh, we, we, we don't want to do things either that you're not calling or that you haven't ordained or that you're not doing. So, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would give us insight, that you would empower us today. In Jesus' name, amen.